0: You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co host today is Cindy Johnson, award winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and copy editor for the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Hi, Cindy.
1: Hi, Jeremy.
0: Today is March 27th, 2022, and this is episode 166 of Lighthearted. In a little while, we're going to listen to an interview about an out-of-the-way, but very interesting lighthouse, Sabine Pass in Louisiana. First, Cindy, let me welcome you back to the famous Bluefish Boulevard recording studios here in (laughs) Portsmouth, New Hampshire. It's our first time recording together in person in, I believe, about a couple of years.
1: Yes, it is. I haven't been here to record since before the pandemic. And um, so, yes, thank you. It's great to be back.
0: And I I should mention to people, what's today's date? The 19th, I think. We're Mm -hmm. recording on on March 19th on a very rainy Saturday here, and the Bluefish Boulevard studios have not been fully soundproofed yet, so... (laughs) If people hear rain on the windows uh, and they're even forecasting possible thunder in the forecast, if people hear that, they'll, they'll know why. That's right. Uh, but it is good to, to record uh, in person again. Yes, it sure is.
1: Yeah.
0: And also, I, I just want to thank you for being such an important part of this podcast for almost uh, three years now. Uh, and thank you for sticking with it through all that remote recording we've done the last couple of
1: years. <laughs> of course. I can't, be- I honestly can't believe it's been almost three years, um, but I'm so happy to be part of it. So thank you.
0: You're so welcome. Uh, it'll be three years in June and uh, we've done uh, over 180 episodes and you have uh, co-hosted about half of them, closing in on hundred, I would say, episodes that mm-hmm. you've co-hosted. So time flies when you're having fun. Wow. So, Cindy, has anything interesting happened on this date in lighthouse history?
1: Well, Jeremy, on March 27, 1975, Drum Point Lighthouse in Maryland began a two-mile journey from Drum Point at the mouth of the Patuxent River to the town of Solomons. The pilings of the 1883 Screw Pile Lighthouse were cut off at the waterline, and the entire structure was moved in one piece by the B.F. Diamond Construction Company of Savannah, Georgia. It was placed on a new foundation at the Calvert Marine Museum. Following extensive renovations, it was reopened as a historic site in June 1978.
0: Yes, uh, Drum Point Lighthouse is one of only four surviving screw pile lighthouses in the Chesapeake region, out of more than 40 that once stood on the bay. Only one of them, Thomas Point Shoal, survives in its original location near Annapolis. So let's introduce Sabine Pass Lighthouse and today's guest, Andrew Tingler.
1: Sure, Jeremy the body of water known as sabine lake is actually a bay on the gulf coast of louisiana and texas about 90 miles east of houston sabine pass an outlet of the bay into the gulf of mexico is bordered by jefferson county texas to the west and cameron parish louisiana to the east Funds were first appropriated for a lighthouse at Sabine Pass in 1849, but the project was shelved for a few years.
0: An 87-foot-tall octagonal brick lighthouse tower went into service in 1857. Because it was built on soft marshland, wooden pilings were driven deep into the ground to create a foundation. The appearance of the tower is unique, with eight buttresses supporting it near its base. A third-order Fresnel lens provided a fixed white light varied by a brighter flash.
1: War and weather have played major roles in the history of the light station, with two battles at Sabine Pass during the Civil War, along with several hurricanes over the years. The light station's active days ended in 1952 when the light was deactivated. The abandoned buildings fell into disrepair. Vandals destroyed the lantern's roof in 1974, stealing the copper and exposing the interior to the elements.
0: A marsh fire destroyed the keeper's house and other buildings in September 1976, leaving just the lighthouse and an oil house standing. The property passed through several hands, and in 2001, it came into the possession of the nonprofit Cameron Preservation Alliance. The organization is working toward a full restoration of the lighthouse.
1: Andrew Tingler is the president of the Cameron Preservation Alliance. He's also a meteorologist for the National Weather Service. He started his career in Duluth, Minnesota, but grew up near the Sabine Pass Lighthouse.
0: I spoke with Andy Tingler via Zoom a few weeks ago. Let's listen to that conversation now. I'm speaking this afternoon with Andrew Tingler of the Cameron Preservation Alliance in Louisiana. We'll be talking mostly about the history and preservation of the Sabine Pass Lighthouse. Thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: First of all, about, uh, about you, I'm wondering, how did you personally get involved with the effort to save the uh, Sabine Pass Lighthouse?
2: Well, kind of the overarching theme you'll hear is about weather. Me and my wife had moved to Minnesota and uh, from Minnesota, moved to, to Florida and came back. But during the time we were gone, there was Hurricane Rita in 2005. And my office, the National Weather Service in Lake Charles, sent me and a couple of coworkers down to Cameron. Whether I having a dedication ceremony for a, a building that was just being uh, reopened after a decade, you know they rebuilt some buildings down there in Cameron after Rita. So me and a couple of other service people were, were sitting around, and some of the older um, board members from prior to Rita were uh, sitting there, and we were kind of chatting back and forth. And I'm originally from uh, the Johnson Bay area, where the lighthouse actually is. And I was like, hey, what's going on with the Lighthouse? Because I really hadn't seen much going on. And they're like, well, you know, we really hadn't uh, had many meetings. You know, they did have some things going on, but they really, after their houses were destroyed and businesses were de- destroyed, they they didn't really have much of a, um, a cohesiveness, I guess you would say. So after talking for a while, I said, all right, let's, let's have some meetings again and see if we can get this thing off the ground again. One thing led to another, and I was a president by about six months later. So-
0: as we mentioned in the uh, the introduction for you, we uh, mentioned that you are a uh, meteorologist for the National Weather Service. Do you help formulate the forecast for the for the Weather Service? Or?
2: The Weather Service is you know the government entity that handles uh, forecasting and whatnot. We do give out the forecast for uh, television stations and emergency managers and, and people like that, but our uh, main thing is to you know, put out warnings and stuff like that to get people out of harm's way, say hurricane warnings, tornado warnings, and stuff like that. Also, to give out forecasts for uh, firefighters, for you know, wildland fires, and then for, uh, say, chemical leaks and refineries, you have to help the emergency managers get people out of the way for that too. Kind of moving resources around and stuff like that, just to kind of help facilitate all those kind of life-saving things. So we do do the forecast, but it's really the other portion of it that we're most heavily involved in.
0: Well, I want to thank you for everything you do with the National Weather Service. Obviously, it's a a big uh, part of our lives. Weather is a pervasive part of our our lives, and we all know uh, how important the National Weather Service is, so thanks for all that. So let's uh, talk about the lighthouse. Why was a lighthouse built at Sabine Pass in the first place?
2: Back in the 1840s into 1850s, really wasn't a whole lot of population along Sabine Lake, but there were enough communities that, there were people asking for a lighthouse, and after Texas joined the Union, uh, the communities in Jefferson and Orange County started petitioning the government to get a lighthouse there at Sabine Pass. They were eventually successful in the late 1840s after kind of squabbling back and forth about where it should be at and how much uh, should it cost and what type of material should be used. A lighthouse was built on the Louisiana side by 1856 to 1857, lit in 1857 where the lighthouse is is probably more interesting of why the lighthouse is there to begin, you know, why the, the area needed it. Cause we all know that the lighthouses are to guide around things for like reefs and stuff like that. And to get people into safe Harbor. Now our lighthouse was placed where it is because they couldn't come to terms with the uh, amount of money that people were asking for in the town of Sabine pass or Sabine city at the time before Texas was with the United States, it was a republic. And before that, it was owned by Spain. After Louisiana Purchase came through in the early 1800s, uh, that area was kind of a, a lawless, no man's land. And it was full of pirates and outlaws and things like that. The United States thought they owned the property to the Sabine River, while Spain said they owned it to the Calcasieu. So it was kind of a void of, of any type of government. But eventually, they had the Adams-on-East Treaty in 1819, which settled that the Sabine River was the international border. About a decade later, the federal government uh, made the Fort Sabine Military Reservation, which is uh, the, basically the hill of the boot of Louisiana. It's about 20,000 acres, but it's, it's vast marshland. There's really not much of any high ground. It's, it's just all marsh. So they couldn't really find a, a better place on the Texas side because of it was too expensive so they'll oh, we'll just put it on the other side where you already own this property so they placed it about two miles inland now if you're out there at the lighthouse and it's just like it's just stuck in the marsh but it's really not necessarily that way uh our lighthouse sits in what's called the cheneer Plain. uh the cheneer Plain runs from about vermilion bay through the other side of the sabine lake into texas and all those are or a stranded beach ridge where sediment was reworked from the Mississippi River. And the lighthouse is on the very end of a chenier. Uh, a chenier basically just means a oak covered ridge. And our ridges are anywhere from like a couple of inches above sea level to about 10 feet. They're really not very high. It sits on top of a chenier, even though it's pretty minor, the elevation wise. It's better on top of sand and shells than it is, say, 100 feet on either side of the chenier, where it's just soft sediments, silts and muds and things like that, where it couldn't hold up a heavy structure of that type. So that's why the lighthouse is there. The
0: appearance of the Sabine Pass Lighthouse is unusual. It's often been compared to a a rocket or missile because of those uh, eight buttresses that flare out uh, at the bottom. Why was it built that way? And, uh, And as far as you know, how unusual is that design?
2: It is pretty unusual, there aren't really any other lighthouses that have that much of an exaggerated buttress bottom. Uh, there are a few, say the flying buttress lighthouses in Canada that come to mind. And then I think there's another one on uh, off the Bayfield Peninsula in uh, Lake Superior that's is something similar. It's a cast iron lighthouse, but does have buttresses. Outside of one that's like in Estonia, uh, that's really all there are that as far as I'm aware of, of, of buttress lighthouses. It is to spread out the heavy weight into on the soft soils to help it hold up, so it don't fall over. Louisiana's uh, lighthouse history, as you probably know, there were were a couple of other brick lighthouses that were taller around the mouth of the Mississippi, but they were they fell over right after they were completed. But they built it out of brick. Our soils are so soft, and we don't have bedrock, you know, within hundreds and hundreds of thousands of feet. (laughs) So they did the best they could. They spread it out over a wider area so the lighthouse base foundation is about 50 by 50 feet and it buttresses up to about 18 feet uh, up in the air and then the lighthouse extends up from there. there is the typical octagonal shape so it's just to hold it up and we do have a little bit of a tilt uh, it's about a quarter degree it's not too terribly much a quarter degree over 165 years i guess is, a, is a, it's a pretty good win in my book considering it's just in soft mud the lighthouse, even whenever it was operational, had a little bit of a tilt because uh, when we were working on it back a couple of years ago, we noticed that they had put shims underneath the pedestal to, to ride it up just a little bit. So the lighthouse keepers knew it back when it was operational in the 18,
0: uh, 1940s and 1950s. Hmm. The uh, You mentioned that the lighthouse is brick. Uh, it is primarily brick, but I, I saw that it has was described as a sh- shellcrete, if I'm uh, pronouncing that yeah. right, shellcrete, shellcrete foundation. What is shellcrete?
2: Uh, shellcrete is basically a, a combination of lime and sand and seashells, similar to our concretes of today where they use an aggregate of some sort of rocks or whatnot to mix in to a concrete to make it stronger or use as a filler. Uh, but what they did is once they dug the hole for the foundation, they laid... Cypress piles, Cypress mats, you know, there's a bunch of logs in a uh, horizontal, after, after they drove some in the ground, you know, they, they put a mat of Cypress logs, put in a mat of sand with seashells and lime, put another mat crisscross of, of Cypress and came back and put shells back on top of that. I guess they were just using it to, to spread um, the, the lime and the sand a little farther. Even in like the mortar between the bricks, whenever we were out there working on it, repointing some of the the, the masonry, uh, there's a lot of seashells in it. I I would have thought they would have sorted a lot of that out, but they they left it in there. So we had to flick out a bunch of seashells between the bricks so we could shove in mortar.
0: (laughs) Yeah, There's a a material called tabby used, and it was used quite a bit in buildings in the south that used uh, kind of a concrete uh, that used uh, shells as well. So it sounds uh, very similar to that. Let's uh, move on in the the history of the lighthouse. Uh, I think it was a quite a a center of activity in the Civil War. What happened uh, at the lighthouse center around the Sabine Pass area in the Civil War?
2: The lighthouse was used as a a lookout point. Uh, It was a spy on the fort that was being built to the north of the the lighthouse and the southerners using it to spy on the on the blockade that was off the coast. Uh, They went back and forth. Each side knew that the opposing side was using the lighthouse. But as they were working on the fort just to the north in Sabine Pass, uh, they went over there one night because the, the Northerners would come over there around sunrise and spy on the Southerners to see what they were doing. But the, the uh, Confederates hid underneath the old keeper's quarters and they ambushed them uh, when they, they came up to the, the lighthouse. They got out of their boats and walked across the field to get to the lighthouse and, and they came up from underneath the lighthouse uh, keeper's quarters and, and shot Several people dead right there at the base of the lighthouse. Uh, after that, they just kind of left it alone. The, the the blockade stayed off off the coast and never came back up until the Civil War battle, just say um, a little bit later. The Civil War fort is about a mile and a half north, northwest from the lighthouse. So after that skirmish, we didn't really have much of the action, but it does technically sit in the core area of a battlefield.
0: Yeah. Uh, another thing that's played a big role in the history of the lighthouse is the weather, especially hurricanes, and uh, as a meteorologist, that's something that's probably of interest to you. For one, uh, there was a uh, hurricane in uh, October 1886 that I think uh, had quite an effect on the area.
2: Yeah, that was the the first probably really big hurricane that the lighthouse went through. Uh, There were other hurricanes, obviously. I mean, we have hurricanes here pretty often, Uh, but 1886 was a pretty rough year along the Gulf Coast. There were several hurricanes that made landfall uh, along the northern Gulf Coast. I think they actually may have been six, uh, but the lighthouse went through two um, two hurricanes that year. There was a Category 2 that made landfall earlier in the year right at the lighthouse, and then in October, there was a Category 3. It was about a 12-foot storm surge. The lighthouse keeper's quarters sat only about two or three feet off the ground, uh, so the original keeper's quarters was, was lost and washed away. The keepers and the assistants all rode out the lighthouse, uh, the hurricane inside the lighthouse, uh, lantern room, mechanical room at the top, and that That happened a few times, uh, but the Keeper's Quarters was rebuilt the following winter and into the spring.
0: 1900, of course, it was one of the most famous hurricanes, one of the worst hurricanes in American history, the Galveston Hurricane. Uh, Did that have an effect on the lighthouse?
2: Like we talked about earlier, about how low we actually are. (laughs) Louisiana, especially Cameron Parish and the coastal areas, uh, storm surge, sweeps inland. It it doesn't take a lot of uh, of Height rise in water levels to uh, flood a, a fairly good portion of the region. So yes, it did sweep inland, uh, the storm surge, but uh, no real effects were seen to the tower or to the uh, the keeper's quarters. At, after the 1886 hurricane, they rebuilt the keeper's quarters probably about uh, seven or eight feet off the ground and the, the land area around the lighthouse is, is like two feet. So if the storm surge doesn't make it over about eight to 10 feet, and the Keeper's Quarters wasn't going to get it. Uh, now, in 1915 and again in 1918, we had some pretty good hurricanes and there was damage. The wharves and things like that had to be rebuilt. And Hurricane Audrey as well. We did have some storm surge, but uh, at the time of Hurricane Audrey, the lighthouse was already decommissioned. So if something had happened, they weren't going to fix it anyway.
0: Aside from uh, the military history, the Civil War and everything, and uh, the hurricanes, uh, I'm wondering if there's anything else that stands out for you, maybe something related to the human history of uh, keepers and families at the Lighthouse?
2: Well, we do have a few interesting uh, keepers that that did live there. Uh, One of the first ones was Goan Wilson Plummer. Prior to Texas gaining its independence from Spain, he actually ran guns from Vermilionville, present-day Lafayette, into Texas to supply Sam Houston. He was a native of Maine and came down here to be the keeper of this Well, He lived in Johnson's Bayou prior to being a keeper. And uh, once he was a keeper, he's up, up until the Civil War, he actually um, left Louisiana and moved back to Maine during the Civil War. He had witnessed a, a murder of a Northern sympathizer and decide to call it quits at that point. <laughs> so can't really say I blame him. He left, you know. And, and, but he did come back and uh, became the keeper of the Bolivar Lighthouse after the Civil War, after it was rebuilt. Now we do have a few other people that were like have different uh, military backgrounds that were keepers at our lighthouse. I wish I can say we we know where all of them are because we don't. We were contacted by uh, some people a while back looking for I think Andrew Brin, uh, which was a uh, a guy who owned had some medal of honors in um, like the war of 1812 or something like that uh, but we never could figure out where he was at we do have on our board one of the descendants for the lighthouse keepers robin anderson she actually her parents were living at sabine pass and they lived at Calcasieu, and they also were keepers at a uh, one of them in texas and then a couple other uh, lighthouses around the area too so there is some interesting people there but uh, going on, Wilson Plummer. Probably the is the the one that's, that's more interesting since he actually ran guns and more or less was an outlaw.
0: <laughs> I mean, I'm just wondering uh, if you could just tell me uh, or remind me the basics of uh, the place. There was it a multiple keeper station? Was there a principal keeper and at least one assistant keepers and their families living there? Is that how that worked?
2: Yeah, we had uh, the principal keeper and there was a couple of assistants. the The room had I mean the, the keepers quarters had I think four like suites essentially so our lighthouse here and then they had all the other smaller lights in the river to guide the ships there was another lighthouse at the the east it was the east jetty lighthouse and it they had their own keeper for a little bit but moved up to the sabine pass lighthouse up there and became an assistant keeper and he would go down there and tend to that lighthouse there was also another lighthouse that was about 16 miles out into the gulf uh, which was a spark plug lighthouse The bottom part, the foundation is still there today, but the top part has been since removed. It was removed around 2001. They had their own keepers, but eventually our lighthouse, I guess, kind of took over everything in the area. So there were multiple keep, multiple assistants with a keeper there at one time.
0: I remember the Sabine Bank lighthouse offshore that you're referring to. I remember it was in uh, rough shape and there was a lot of talk of, you know, can it be saved or not and finally removed. Isn't the, uh, is the lantern on display somewhere, if I remember?
2: The lantern is on display at the Museum of Gulf Coast in in Port Arthur. It's it's a beautiful light, third order Fresnel lens. Uh, Our lens, uh, we don't really exactly know for sure where it is. We think the Coast Guard has it. They cannot confirm nor deny. After our lighthouse was decommissioned, the lens was taken out and from what we understand, it went to the Coast Guard office in New Orleans with Chalmette, and it was at the Coast Guard office over there. It was actually on display at the World's Fair in like 1984. And the lighthouse lens that they had in the Coast Guard station over there was actually damaged in Katrina when the storm surge came into the building, a wall fell on the lens and uh, damaged it. I think St. Augustine tried to, to fix it, the um, museum over there. But it's pretty expensive, so the Coast Guard took it over and it's sitting in a warehouse in Maryland. Which I believe the be that lens that it's either ours or another lighthouse, and I can't remember which one it is. It's, it's on. Um, it's slated to become a exhibit in
0: Connecticut, I believe. I think you're talking about the new uh, Coast Guard uh, museum that's on in the works in uh, yes. the ones in Connecticut, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know anything about that. That lens you're talking about—that's a pretty interesting history that lens has had. And I hope we can—I hope you can find out for sure if that's your your yeah, lens.
2: they just said that they can't confirm nor deny, but it's our—it's either ours or like ship shoals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess they just weren't labeled. Whenever they took them out, they just put them in a warehouse and was like, you know, well, you know, the, nowadays, you know, I work in the federal government, so. Everything's got a barcode. Once a year, you have to take an inventory of all the equipment you got there. But back then, they didn't have that kind of stuff. So it's just, uh, that may be that for that lighthouse or whatever, <laughs> yeah. like it wasn't written down, no one knew.
0: Uh, jumping ahead to more recent history, uh, after the light was decommissioned, there was something that happened in 1974, I believe, uh, involving vandalism. Uh, can you tell me what happened then?
2: Yeah, some vandals went to the top and stole our copper roof. <laughs> I can't remember what the value was back then, but it's, it was so cheap you know, c- compared to what it is today. I mean, they went out there and s- stole the copper roof, peeled it off bit by bit, and uh, sold it for scrap for you know pennies, essentially. And after that occurred, water sort of getting into the structure. They busted out all the windows and uh, pretty much tore up the place. So that kind of sort of the eventual demise of the interior of the lighthouse uh, not to say that a you know, marine environment wouldn't have eventually caused it anyway, uh, but they definitely sped it up.
0: You know, there's no doubt that that would have exacerbated the the situation. And then uh, there was a fire in 1976, right?
2: Yes, we had a fire that burned down our keepers' quarters in the mid 70s. Uh, so a lot of times down here in the middle of wintertime, people will set fires to the marsh forests either to clear the pasture for grazing cattle, or to, to clear the marsh for the geese to come down so they can hunt. And if you have a good wind blowing through, it just carries the fire through the marsh. And that's what happened. It just swept across the whole lighthouse grounds and, and burned down the keeper's quarters and all the wharf and everything that was associated with that. People saw it, knew everything was burning. They could see it from across the river, but there were no way for anyone to get out there to do anything about it. It's just, it's, it's pretty much on an island at that time. You know? We do have a road to it today even though it's in in pretty bad shape, but we can get out there. Um, Back then, if they didn't have a boat, it just wasn't happening. So, and and that's just what happened. It just burned to the ground.
0: So the light was deactivated in 1952. And uh, in the years that followed, it passed through several owners. And then the Cameron Preservation Alliance uh, was formed. How how did that, how was the organization formed and how uh, did it eventually get ownership of the lighthouse?
2: So after the lighthouse was decommissioned, one of the old keepers was actually living in Sabine Pass. He didn't try to keep it up for a while. The Wildlife and Fisheries used it for a while. They kept a, a person out there to, uh, to monitor, you know, whatever have you with the Wildlife and Fisheries. Lamar University owned it. McNeese owned it. And then eventually it was sold to some businessmen out of Houston who wanted to turn it into like a, a yacht club and resort. Uh, but like I just said a little while ago, it's pretty much an island. There's really no road to get out there. So nothing ever happened. Uh, they tried. They couldn't come up with the funds, though. So it eventually just was abandoned by them. Our organization was formed in the late 90s by the, the neighboring landowners, uh, that were right to the north, the uh, Crane Brothers. Um, they had Miss uh, Crane and then Carolyn Miller, which is one of their sisters, and they talked them into donating the flyhouse to the Cameron Preservation Alliance. So They incorporated, they formed a charity and took the donation. A road was eventually built around 2000 out to the lighthouse. So we can start working on things because otherwise it's, it's just, it's nearly impossible to get to because the marsh just doesn't allow it. Uh, they were moving along. Uh, they were raising money and, and trying to get, uh, grants and things like that. Um, but like we just talked about earlier, we had hurricane Rita and it just pretty much stopped a lot of things because everyone's houses were destroyed because so it was the first major hurricane this area had had since 1957 with Hurricane Audrey. Uh, so a lot of things were set back years.
0: What basically is the condition of the lighthouse today would you say?
2: Unfortunately the lighthouse is heavily deteriorated. It, it's it been abandoned since 1952. The last time it was pa- painted was like 1932 or 1938. It was in the 1930s but uh, so it's slowly spalling away, uh, the chips of the brick. You, know, you can start to see them a little bit more every year. Uh, the rust is getting thicker, but we know that our lighthouse has to be, like the whole top part has to come down at some point and be replaced. Uh, there were some big cracks at the top of it, probably from rust jacking, just the, uh, the metal beam, and then the mechanical room is rusting, so the rust is just kind of pushing the brick apart. We did put some stainless steel bands on it, to to slow or halt that, but until we get up there at some point in time, seal out the water, raise money to replace that whole top part and then put a new uh, mechanical room and lantern room up the top, it it, it is gonna continue. Now, as far as the masonry goes, uh, some of the brick joints are almost, you know, about a knuckle deep, (laughs) if not more in spots. Uh, So it does need to be repointed, especially on the Eastern side of the lighthouse uh, where, more uh, freeze and thaw is, is kind of chipping away at, at the, the masonry. It, it does need a lot of work. It's going to take a couple million dollars. We did have a, a study done of it uh, about a decade or two ago, uh, which needs to be redone again. But once we get our stairwell back in, we can start to still water out and uh, we can kind of have a little more ease of getting up there and to see all the different things that are going on and so we'll have a better understanding.
0: Is the... Uh... Building of a new stairwell, stairway inside the lighthouse, staircase, whatever you want to call it, is that the number one priority at this point?
2: It is. Uh, we actually have the funds to do it, at least to purchase the stairs. We do have a company that's coming down here in mid-March who so will probably put some some ladders back inside the stairwells to try to measure everything out. Because while we did have an engineering study done of it uh, a decade or two ago, and we worked on it a, about two years ago. We never did get a measurement of the top. (laughs) So uh, we have to go back inside of it and and take a scan to redesign everything to make sure all the measurements are correct. We hope to get that done fairly soon. So at least we can go in and stop the water from, from leaking into the masonry at the top. It's the number one thing we're gonna try to get done we did talk about like um, shrink wrapping the whole thing like they did over in Canada, one of the lighthouses on on what, Lake Huron. But we figured we will just go ahead and go for this route, put the stairwell back in, seal out the stuff the best we can, and then uh, just work on the other issues like the, the masonry and the, and the cast iron elements at the top.
0: So to this point, what has the organization been able to complete as far as restoration projects?
2: A couple of years ago, right before COVID, uh, we actually had scaffolded up the lighthouse at least the top of it because uh, it was crumbling pretty bad the masonry was uh, really just falling apart you could take your fingers dig out some of the the mortar between the bricks at the top so what we did uh we have ladders installed and mason and some scaffolding around the top of it we installed a couple of stainless steel bands to hold the uh the, the masonry together because uh like we talked about rust jacking it was slowly pushing it apart so we went ahead and put everything in there and then we uh, replaced some of the, the bricks at the top of the lighthouse and repointed all the decorative bricks around the uh, where it starts to flare out at, uh, flare out at the top. So what happened about 1878, 1879 is that they put a new lantern on top of the lighthouse. So they made a bigger lantern room up there, and they used inferior mortar and inferior bricks compared to the original stuff. So it was just turning to sand. The bricks were turning to dust. And when we got up there, it was like, well, we had to spend a little bit more money than we had anticipated. It's like the, the typical, you know, replacing of an old structure or a house. You get in, you open a can of worms and you just like, oh God, we got to do this. So we actually matched some bricks out of an old home in Chicago that they were being held in Beaumont. And uh, we used those bricks to replace the bricks at the top whenever they worked on it originally in the 1870s, and if you're looking at it today, it was painted so you wouldn't have never known back then, but all the bricks on the bottom up until the top, uh, about six layers of bricks are brown, where the top six layers are red. So they were different bricks they had used up there, and that's the ones that we replaced the best we could without uh, too much interference with the interior structure. Of the uh, the beam that holds up the lantern room.
0: So you mentioned the road a couple of times. There is uh, somewhat of a, a road. How difficult it is is it for you to reach the lighthouse?
2: Usually, uh, we would have visitors go to the Johnson Bay branch of the Cameron Parish Library, and they can check in from there. So our road goes along the edge of Schneer LNG. Their facility is uh, pretty high security. Uh, it's a liquid natural gas facility, so. They don't like to be surprised with people, just random people showing up wanting to pass through the edge of their facility. So what they ask of people is to go to the library and check in. And it takes you about 15 minutes or so to travel from the library to the LMG facility. And they would guide people down to the other end of their uh, facility where you could continue on on a gravel road and get, drive within about uh, 200, 300 feet of the lighthouse. But uh, Hurricane Laura and Hurricane Delta in, in 2020 damaged the road. And plus, we had some pretty bad potholes that were farming anyway. Right now, Shaneer is in the process of fixing the road. We do have material out there to do it. It's just it hadn't gotten done yet. Hopefully, whenever the lighthouse is, not lighthouse, but the, the library is reopened because they were damaged in Laura, we can start doing this again uh, where people will check in and Johnson Valley and go on down there. We, we actually hope to have the road patched enough here in the next month that people can start to drive back out there, at least the crew that we have coming here to uh, take some interior scans of the lighthouse.
0: So would you recommend that if people, you know, obviously a lot of people listen to this podcast are real uh, heavy duty lighthouse buffs or lighthouse nuts. And I I can use that word because I'm one myself, but uh, some of them might be interested in trying to come and see the lighthouse. So maybe they should check in with the library to see what the current status is before they they try to go. Yeah,
2: that does sound like a good bet. Check in with the library. Uh, We actually hope to have things pretty well patched by summer. We were hoping to have it done by spring, but it's just probably not going to happen, at least in the next month or two. But by the summer, it should be passable again.
0: Okay. So what library are we talking about again? What's the name of the library?
2: It's the uh, Johnson Bayou branch of the Cameron Parish Library.
0: Okay. Johnson Bayou branch of the Cameron Parish Library. I'm interested in asking you because, uh, especially since you're a meteorologist, what your your take on this is. But do you feel the lighthouse is endangered at this point by uh, rising sea levels, especially and maybe uh, increasingly bad storms?
2: Well, all of South Louisiana is. It's it's kind of hard to to uh, not notice it. <laughs> uh, so. Louisiana is in a bad position, even without the rise of, of a global sea level. You know, The Mississippi Delta is pulling down, essentially all of South Louisiana. It, it's kind of like setting a bowling ball on a mattress. So as you slowly set the ball down, all the area around it starts going down. The mantle, you know, the Earth's crust is kind of a plasticy, so it, it's, it's a slow reaction. Uh, it's more pronounced closer to New Orleans you get over here it's it's not quite as bad but we are still sinking and it's it's more pronounced in uh areas around like um, oil fields and stuff like that where they've pumped out you know, various liquids and you know, stuff sort of settling down uh, but our lighthouse the, the foundation is essentially at the high tide level
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, from whenever I was young you can walk around the lighthouse and not have to worry about wearing boots. <laughs> Nowadays, uh, it, you know, the high tide hits the lighthouse; it, it's, it's right at the foundation. So, it is in a, in a you know nutshell. Yes, it, it's happening. Every you know lighthouse that's down along the coast here, you know, it, it's it's getting closer. Our lighthouse, the, the Chafunta lighthouse over in Old Lake Pontchartrain, it's it's. Pretty obvious they're having erosion issues. And the other ones that are off on the in the Burfoot Delta, I mean, that are just not there anymore. Uh, they're they're pretty much gone. So
0: can you imagine the the possibility of ever moving the lighthouse
2: to save it? We were asked that a few times <laughs> because you know the company that we had work on it a couple of years ago was International Chimney, which you know obviously moved to Cape Hatteras. And they're like, you think you can move this thing? Well, yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen as much as I wish I could. I don't know how far we'd have to move it to um, to actually move it out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. So, like I said a while ago, our lighthouse is in the Chenier Plain, which are stranded beaches. The, the northernmost stranded beach is 40 miles inland. <laughs> and that is obviously from when uh, sea levels were much higher. But that tells you how far things can go. So I don't know how long, I mean, it's obviously going to be long after, you know, I've passed and this actually happens, but uh, to move it out of harm's Way, the marsh is so vast, we'd have to tear up so much marsh, the permitting would be god awful. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I just don't see it happening.
0: It seems to me that if it was to be moved, you're probably talking about uh, dismantling it and rebuilding it somewhere else rather than moving the whole structure, like with Cape Hatteras or something like that.
2: That's what we'd have to do.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully you don't have to do that, at least not for several more decades, I would hope. So to this point, uh, what kinds of things have you done to raise money for the restoration? Have you had events to raise money?
2: Uh, we do have a couple of uh, races a year. We have a 5K that's coming up here in April. That actually happens on the Gibstown Bridge, which is just south of me a little ways. And we do have a beach race uh, that's near the lighthouse, but not at it. Uh, in Holly Beach, which is on the coast here in Cameron Parish, uh, we have a 5 and 10K and a 1K. Now, we do have sponsor a step, you know, for the put the lighthouse steps back in there, where we're going to put plaques by each step for the person that donates a $1,000 company or, or whoever. We have sponsors for all 96 steps in the lighthouse, so that's, you know, stopped. We need to build a bridge across the bay that's right to the north of the lighthouse, so... What we intend to do is take a page out of, say, I think it may be Atlantic City's uh, boardwalk where they actually had uh, sponsor a board and they carved people's names into it. So that's how we're gonna raise funds for the bridge and the wharf, at least uh, about 150 feet of it to where we can get across to buy to the lighthouse. Uh, we haven't opened that up yet because we still need to do some design and permitting for that as well. But outside of that, we do have um a couple other events where we have artists here in lake charles that has like figurines for sale and stuff like that and a little bit of money comes back to us and we were talking before covid uh with one of my relatives who's a chef of uh, doing like a, a luncheon kind of deal with some signing auction and stuff like that uh, so we do have plans it's just we kind of got hung up with you know obviously the pandemic and and slowed down by hurricanes
0: Yeah, sure. That's understandable. Uh, Tell me about the lighthouse license plate.
2: Oh, yeah, we we do have a license plate. So we have uh, gotten the bill pushed through the Louisiana legislature uh, about three or four years ago that produced a license plate for the state of Louisiana. Unfortunately, they don't allow people from out of state to buy one. I know some states do. Louisiana does not. Twenty dollars a year comes back to the lighthouse for every sale of the plate. So you have to renew your lighthouse license plate every two years and it's $40, so it's $20 per year, plus the fees the state would charge.
0: Yeah, and that's available currently. Yes. You know, I always wonder with those things, uh, again, there's a lot of lighthouse buffs uh, listening who would probably buy a, a license plate, even if they don't live in Louisiana, just as a souvenir. Do you know if is that is that possible? Do you know Is there some way to buy a, a fake one?
2: <laughs> Louisiana does not allow it. I wish they did. I think Texas allows it. Texas does not have a lighthouse license plate. And we have thought about doing it for Texas because since our lighthouse is on the border, you know, it's really technically a Texas lighthouse because it got it. Ships into Port Arthur and Orange, but Texas wants $10,000 to set it up. Louisiana only wanted $3,000. <laughs> it's a lot easier to make back that money than it is to make back $10,000. Yeah. Uh, not to say that we couldn't get a sponsor to do it. I'm sure we could. If someone's going to donate $10,000, we we kind of just want to have it for the lighthouse. <laughs> but I, I'm short-sighted. But that's you know the way it goes. I guess. Yeah, it is clearly
0: on the Louisiana side of the border. Right. But right, yeah, but it, historically, it has a lot of relationship to Texas, of course.
2: Yeah. And, and one interesting note about it, too, is that all the uh, the little boxes you see in museums says Port Arthur uh, Lighthouse Service. And it's like kerosene or mineral oil, or whatever. All had to sail past our lighthouse to get to all the other lighthouses along the Atlantic Coast and the Gulf Coast. Even with our lighthouse burning some of that kerosene, it had to leave the refinery in Port Arthur, go to the lighthouse depot, and then come all the way back.
0: <laughs> yeah, right, right. The government for you.
2: Yeah, it, our lighthouse is, uh, it really, there's no, nothing much on the Louisiana side. It, whenever it was built, the Louisiana side had Johnson's Bayou, which was actually a fairly decent-sized community up until the hurricane of 1886. It was probably The largest community in southwest Louisiana at the time, but still at say 1200 people, uh, there were larger communities on the Texas side. There's just nothing else on the Louisiana side, even up, up into say Calcasieu Parish or, or Borbogor Parish. so really it was for Beaumont, Port Arthur, and Orange oh, and Sabine City, yeah, Sabine Pass today,
0: right? So what are the plans for once the Lighthouse is restored? Any talk of increased public access or anything like that?
2: Well, right now we are currently working with the National Park Service to uh, design and hopefully get put in a hike and bike trail from Highway 82 to the Lighthouse, try to get access away from Chenier. Unfortunately, it includes a trail over about a three quarter mile of marsh. Uh, So it would be a lot of uh, funds and permitting involved with that but uh, at least that would allow people to say hike or bike all the way down to the lighthouse. We do want people to go out there. I mean, I, we want to have you know, visitors be able to climb to the top of it. We'd have no reason to, to hold anybody out of it. Even when, you know, it's out there by itself and pretty difficult to get to, people still get out there by boat or whatever. They'll take a uh, charter boats, you know, to go out there to see it. We're fine with it. And just as long as people aren't tearing things up, yeah, you know, things do happen. But we would like to increase the public access, and that's what we're trying to do.
0: Well, that sounds good to me. How can people help if they'd like to donate? And kind of a part two to that question, do you need volunteers for anything?
2: At the moment, uh, we don't have uh, any need for volunteers. But uh, whenever we get our stairs, is one of the things we're going to look at is, uh, using volunteers to put the stairwell together originally the stairwell was in 10 foot segments so it was a one foot in diameter cast iron pole with steps that extend from the pole to the wall into the wall but our door is is not going to allow that and we're not going to take the top of it off for now so what we were planning on doing is taking the stairs and be stackable and however we design to uh, put them back together, we'll kind of use volunteers or not. It'll tell us how we, once we decide it. But probably what we'll go to first is like Chenier's uh, maintenance crew. So they may be the have the first shot at putting things together. If, if they can do it by themselves, it's fine. Uh, we may go reach out to some of the other LNG facilities, too, because I don't know exactly what's all going to be entailed to, to put it together. We're, we're going to find out here in about a month. Yeah. Uh, after that, we probably will need some volunteers in the future for picking up trash and things like that, because we do have some trashes out there and a few other minor things. But for now, we don't you know need any volunteers. Uh, as far as donations go, we do take donations through PayPal, um, checks. Pretty much like all the lighthouses do, but uh, on our Facebook um, page, I think we do have a link to PayPal on there somewhere. Uh, plus our website, SabinePassLighthouse.org has the PayPal little on there and stuff like that.
0: So SabinePassLighthouse.org is the yeah, website.
2: It's a very antiquated site. It needs to be redone, but it is there.
0: Yeah. And also a Facebook page. Would people look on Facebook for Sabine Pass Lighthouse or for Camera and Preservation Alliance for Sabine Pass Lighthouse on on Facebook? Okay. Uh, I have two final questions for you for bonus points. Okay. Why do you feel personally, uh, why does this lighthouse need to be saved? Why is it so important?
2: I just hate to see it lost. It's a beautiful piece of architecture that's sitting out there. You know, it's got some interesting history. It's just a waste. Whenever, you know, I grew up, you could see it off in the distance and nothing was ever happening with it. And you finally get to see people starting to work on it, but then it was all dropped. And when I was in Minnesota and, and in, when I lived in, in South Florida, you know, I got to see the lighthouses like Split Rock and, and Hemus Cane's Lighthouse. And all those lighthouses have bunches of people that go out to see them. I mean, I'm not saying we're Split Rock or, you know, the lighthouse sitting on Bill Bag State Park, but... It, it is a very beautiful place to be. Uh, and it's just just be a waste to let it fall down out there.
0: And final question, what do you personally enjoy most about your work with the Sabine Pass Lighthouse?
2: I actually enjoyed quite a bit uh, working with International Chimney Corporation, reporting, light, uh, reporting the bricks and stuff. I sit in an office all day long. <laughs> I'm not really afraid of heights, so it didn't bother me at all. Uh, sitting on top of the scaffolding. 70, 80 feet off the ground, uh, repointing the bricks was, was kind of neat. Uh, I, I did enjoy that quite a bit, even though it didn't happen for too long. And I wish it would have carried on, but I only had so much vacation. Okay. <laughs> uh, so that's what I spent part of my vacation time doing a couple of years ago, which was, was pretty neat.
0: That sounds like fun to me. You know, Andy Tingler, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with me today. It's a great project. It's a really interesting, unique lighthouse in an unusual location. And uh, I've, I've uh, somewhat uh, followed this for, for quite a few years. I've been to Louisiana, but I haven't been to see that lighthouse. I hope I can get to to see it sometime. But uh, I wish you all the best. Uh, and uh, we'll be following it very closely. And hopefully we can talk again on the podcast, maybe in the future. So. All
2: right. Sounds good.
1: To learn more, go online to sabinepasslighthouse.org. That's S A B I N E passlighthouse.org. And there's also a Facebook page for Sabine Pass Lighthouse.
0: Thanks again to Andy Tingler, and I wish him and the Cameron Preservation Alliance the best with the lighthouse restoration. I look forward to visiting there in the future. Coming up in the next episode of Lighthearted, we're going to have an interview with retired English lighthouse keeper David Appleby. David was stationed at some of England's most famous light stations, including Eddystone, Wolf Rock, and Longstone. I know people are gonna enjoy uh, hearing his recollections.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Thanks, as always, to the members, volunteers, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and all its chapters and affiliates. Learn more about the domestic and international tours, the Passport Program, preservation grants, and everything else the Society offers by going to uslhs.org. Memberships and donations support this podcast and all the other lighthouse preservation and education initiatives of the USLHS.
0: If you listen to this podcast through a platform that allows you to post reviews, please rate and review us. Please tell your friends about this podcast and share it on social media.
1: The author Virginia Woolf once wrote, quote, Lighthouses are endlessly suggestive signifiers of both human isolation and our ultimate connectedness to each other, unquote.
0: Yeah, she was a smart lady, that Virginia (laughs) Woolf. To everyone, thanks so much for listening, and...
1: Keep a good light.